0: Okay, for those of you who maybe it's been a little while, we're glad you're here. Welcome back. And if you've missed some, we're still in our series called, um, like it says on the border there, FAQs of Christianity. FAQ is a frequently asked question. And we've answered, you guys have had some really good ones, and a lot of them. And so for the last few weeks, we've answered some of the deeper things. Um, And tonight and next Wednesday... We're going to kind of try to jam in as much of it as we can into kind of a, a rapid fire kind of deal where I just kind of answer or, or we try to take the as many remaining questions as we can and be sure we cover them all, okay? I think we've got about seven questions left and I'm going to do three tonight, I think. Uh, and four next week. Okay? So, and you can, and like I said, you still have another week. So just go to pvnstudents.org and click on the suggestion box and you can enter in your question there. And several of the students know how to do it. So if you're not really familiar with the website, just get with some of our older students and some of our leaders and they will be able to help you out. Um, so I've got to move a little quickly this evening because um, we took up so much time playing blindfold dodgeball, which was so fun. Um, you guys looked ridiculous. So if, but I do have to move quickly, so if you feel like I didn't cover something deeply enough or uh, maybe I said something that you didn't, you're like, mm, I don't know if I agree with that, don't raise your hand during. Just wait till not that you've done that, but let's keep that, I'm trying to be proactive. Just come find me after and let's talk through it then. Does that make sense? Cool. Okay, so let's just jump right into it, okay? The first question, uh, and these are in no particular order, I think some were asked by middle school and some were asked by high school, so that's a good Good mix. The first question is this: How can you have godly discernment? Um, How can you tell what's right and what's wrong in life? So, two kind of practical things to think about here. Okay. So, again, the question is: How do you have godly discernment? How can you tell what's right and what's wrong in life? Okay. Two practical things. Your first of all, your parents are huge here. Okay. Your parents are huge in how you discern. Life. Um, Chances are you will love what they love and you will disapprove of what they disapprove of. Um, Being in a family is something that we just kind of take for granted because everybody has to be in a family in order to exist, so you don't really think about it. Um, But the Bible takes family very seriously. Look at, or you don't have to, but you're welcome to if you want. But in Exodus chapter 20, you get the Ten Commandments, okay? In the Ten Commandments, you you may not have caught this, but they're in sort of a pattern. The first four commandments are about your relationship with God, and the last six commandments are about your relationships with other people. And the first one that's about your relationship with other people, so the first one in that second set, that set of six, the first one is about the family. And it's Exodus 20.12 that says, Honor your father and mother so that, this is the part of the verse no one looks at, honor your father and mother, so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Okay, so here's why this is weird. So look at me. The first one is honor your father and mother. The next one is you shall not murder. Isn't it interesting that God doesn't address mur- murder first? Like maybe we'll cover this and then we can talk about you know, curfew, like why don't we do murder first and then we'll get into obeying your parents. Um, God is doing something here. Why? Seriously, why would obeying your parents come before murder? These are not in random order. By putting obedience to parents, by putting that before murder, before stealing, before lying, God is drawing a connection He's saying that a life that starts in obedience and discipline and honesty and openness, it'll typically stay that way. Now, this is not some foolproof guarantee. Um, There are plenty of great parents whose kids just went off the rails. Um, But it is a healthy direction to start in. And you'll see this as you get into college. When, When students move out on their own, They have years of their parents' model already ingrained in their brains. Your parents' character, right now, your parents' character is being imprinted on you. You see the world the way they do. And nine times out of ten, that will help you avoid things later in life. This character that's been imprinted on you now will serve you later in life and help you avoid certain pitfalls, which is why God puts it before all these other things, because if this is in order, the rest of these things will fall into place. Um, I worked at a, well, and then the opposite is true as well, unfortunately. Lack of teaching or lack of discipline or lack of love from parents will often result in The opposite effect, encouraging you to make these mistakes and fall into these things. Um, I worked at a summer camp for five summers and I had a kid, his name was Logan, and he had a lacrosse stick and he hit a kid in the face with the lacrosse stick, okay, in the face. And so we called his dad and was basically like, this isn't cool at all. And so the dad comes down and we're like, here it goes, like like, my dad would bury me alive if I hit another kid in the face with a lacrosse stick. And the dad comes, and right away you can tell, like, this is going to be one of those. And the dad comes up, and the kid's in, like, sixth grade, okay? And so he, and so the dad comes, and the kid's name is Logan, and the dad comes up and says, Logan, I don't under, Logie Bear, come on. And I was like, and the kid, yeah, right, Sam? And the kid, like, I was with another counselor in the room, and the other counselor looks at me and mouths. Logie Bear? And I was like, I know. And so obviously you can tell why this kid didn't think there'd be any consequences to hitting another kid in the face with a lacrosse stick because there was no imprint of character on him from his family. Do you see how this is directly connected though? Um, look back at the verse in Exodus twenty twelve: Honor your father and mother so that You may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. When Israel gets, so this is the people of Israel, that's who gets the Ten Commandments from God in the book of Exodus. The only time the Israelites are kicked out of their land in the Old Testament is because of terrible sins that they've committed. And when they're kicked out of the land, they're not just kicked out to wander again. They're always taken over by another country. Their nation falls apart when they lose the land. And so God is saying, by obeying your parents, you will stay in this land for a long time. If you will obey your parents, if your family will have cohesion, if your family will work together, you will stay in this place. Your nation will endure if your family will endure. God is saying obeying your parents slash having an orderly family is the key, the real key, to your nation's strength and security. And that's true today. It happens in the home. If you obey, you'll live long in the land. Your nation's destiny is determined by the holiness of your family. Not your ability to invent things and all the money that you can make, and those things are good and fine, and how much you learn in school. Those things are awesome. But God literally says here if you will obey your family, if you will stick with your family, then your nation will stay healthy. The family is the thread that God has ordained to hold Israel together. Does that make sense? like a net that's holding a big load inside of it, the net that God has ordained to hold the country of Israel together is the family. And it's the same way with us. Um, real quick note here, this is why same-sex marriage is such a big issue. Because the family, according to God, is the center of the nation. So to redefine the family is to redefine the core of the nation. And it will have enormous implications. Discernment. So how do you discern things? Number one, discernment is linked to your family big time. How they discern the world is how you will discern the world. So begin to pay attention to how your parents discern things. And the second thing, last thing I'll say about this, what you put into your head will make its way into your heart. What you put into your head will make its way into your heart. I have several students come up to me and their typical day looks like this. Uh, They have like, you know, X amount of hours of school. And then they have maybe two hours of extracurricular activity, two hours of homework, two hours of TV, six and a half hours of fortnight before bed, right? That's kind of typically how things go in these students' lives. And then they come to me and they say, "I, I really doubt my salvation. And I would too. Of course you do. Of course you're lustful. You've had, maybe you've had girls on Instagram and Snapchat filling your brain for the last five days. Of course, what you've done affects how you see them, affects how they see themselves. Pornography has just as much of a damaging effect on women as it does on men. Of course, it affects how you see things, of course, it affects how you see yourself. To be a disciple, right? Jesus has disciples. To be a disciple meant to spend your life with that teacher. What do you spend your life around? Because that's what you're being discipled by. That's what affects your discernment. Have you, you remember like, you may be at Collide or Summer Camp or Fields of Faith or something like that, where the the band is playing, like, some intense song at the end, like, I'm sure next year it'll be Reckless Love, and, like, they're playing the song, and, like, the person next to you in the stands starts crying, and then, like, the person behind you starts crying, and they are just and they just grab you, and they're like, we have to go up there right now, and you're like, okay, we'll go, and so you go up there with them, and then while you're up there with them, and they're crying, and they're around you, you begin to think back on, like, when you hit your leg on the desk yesterday and it hurt a lot, and so now you're in this too, right? This, by the way, this is why we played that fun jumpy song at the end of beach camp last year because we're trying to fix your brains. Like, that's why, and we had ice cream after because you can't cry and have ice cream at the same time. It's science. And so this is like, but the whole reason, but that happens, right? Does it not happen every, all the time? Uh, What happens around you has a huge impact on you. What happens around you affects how you see the world around you. What comes in here affects how you discern things. So, how do you discern? Discernment means how do you make good decisions? How do you see the world? Number one, I pray that you have a family that models a biblical worldview. And and hopefully they do because that's the big one. But if they don't, And even if they do, but if they don't, I pray that you put the right things into your brain so that they can impact how your heart views the world. Okay? So, a family that models a biblical worldview and then putting the right things in your brain so that they can impact how your heart views the world. Number two, um, if you are a Christian, and again, I'm just taking these as they come. If you are a Christian, but you are filled with anger at everyone and everything, even with God, will you go to heaven? We've been there, right? If you are a Christian, but you are filled with anger at everyone and everything, even with God, will you go to heaven? My first question for the anger thing is this. How long has this anger been going on And if it's been a long time, like months, or maybe years, if you're constantly in this mode of anger, or if your hair trigger is so close, and you're always like this, will you go to heaven? I'm going to say as of right now, I don't think so. Not that Christians shouldn't get angry. We should get angry. But let me give you an example. Um... The first time, I remember at least, the first time my mom got, I'm sure she did plenty of times before this, but the first time I remember my mom getting angry. I was like six years old, I had a basketball in the driveway, and she was working in the yard. And we lived uh this place called McDaniel Station Road in Calhoun. And McDaniel Station is a lot like Old Somerville right here by the church where cars, it's just easy to just fly down this road, right? Like 55 and 60. And the ball went in, went across the street, and I, just, I was just like six, and so I just went. I didn't look. I didn't I just walked out there got the ball and came back and Celia was like like right here in my grill when I came and she was like don't ever go out into the street without me again. If you ever if you want to go out into the road, you need to come find me and she was so mad. Now, how dare she, right? How dare she be so angry at me and just hate it's just hateful, right? No, not at all. It's because she it's because she what? It's because she cares about me, right? I remember when I was like 13, I was mad at my dad one day, and I called him a jerk, right? And my dad was so, like, hurt by what I said, and like, he wasn't even doing anything wrong, I'm sure, it was just me being a brat, but I called him a jerk, and he was so upset and like, kind of hurt at what I had said, he didn't talk to me for like two days, because he was so angry with me. Now, how dare my dad, right? He's a Christian. He's not supposed to get angry, You don't get angry if you're a Christian. Well, no. He's hurt because he cares about his son. Follow this. The right anger, okay? The right anger is just a different form that love takes. Anger and love are the same thing when anger is done the right way. Anger and love are the same thing when anger is done the right way. 1 John 4 8 says, and you know it, 1 John 4 8 says, God is love and God gets angry in the Bible. So we know that anger has to be a part of love. It's okay to get angry. Look at me. It's okay to get angry at things. I don't I feel like Christians all the time are trying to don't get mad, don't get angry don't, and they like go crazy. It's okay to get angry if someone cuts you off in traffic. It's okay to get angry if you have a fun weekend that gets canceled. And it's okay to get angry when you don't get what you want. That's part of being a person. That's part of caring about. When you care about things, and those things get taken or altered, it affects you emotionally. It's part of being a person. Again, God is angry sometimes, and we're made in His image, so we will get angry. The problem is when that anger drives you, when that anger consumes you, when it puts you in a bad mood for days, when it sticks in you. That anger is now impacting every part of your life. That sounds like what God is supposed to do. That anger that's impacting every part of your life, that's what God is supposed to be doing. So that anger has taken over your life. I was watching a TV show one time, so this is not in the Bible at all, but I love it. I heard a quote, it says this, if you meet a jerk, he's a jerk. But if everyone you meet is a jerk, you're the jerk. If you have a problem with your job, if you have a problem with your family, you have a problem with your church, you have a problem with your school, you have a problem with your group, do you know what the only common denominator in all of those is? You. How do you fix that? How do we fix, hopefully, the person that asked this question is in here. How do you fix this anger? It's time to go to your parents. It's time to come to me or to one of the adult leaders and let's get this thing out in the open so that we can find the root of it and deal with it. All right. Final one for the night. If I have a family or friends that don't believe in God, is it right to, and he put it in quotes, or she, if I have a family or friends that doesn't believe in God, is it right to respect their beliefs by not saying something and not bringing up God while I'm around them? Or is it wrong for not spreading his word to other people? So they're asking, what should I do? Is it wrong for me to push my beliefs on other people? Or should I do that? Am I supposed to push Christianity on people or not? Where's the line? And this is a great question. But here's the problem with how it was asked. And again, I'm not trying to, I'm just saying, here's kind of the thought process behind this. Should I respect, shouldn't I be respectful of their beliefs and not push my own ideals on them? You're coming at it from the perspective that says being a Christian means forcing people to agree with certain ideals. That's all Christianity is. As long as you agree with this set of principles, you're a Christian. Therefore, we need to push these principles on everybody and make them agree so that way they'll all become a Christian. The problem with that. While there is a factor of having your mind renewed, your mind changes on things, just like Paul says in Romans, the key to becoming a Christian is a heart change. Becoming a Christian, here it is, becoming a Christian is not rooted in being correct. Becoming a Christian is rooted in being rescued. Becoming a Christian is not rooted in being correct. Becoming a Christian is rooted in being rescued. We said earlier, right, that your mind and your heart are linked. What happens to your mind affects your heart. The reverse is true as well. When your heart is changed by Jesus, it will change how you think about things. You will have certain ideals that will change. But when you share the gospel with people, you're not trying to force your ideas on them, you're trying to rescue them. They don't just need correcting, they need salvation. So, do we go out there and force Jesus on everybody or not? Yes and no. Yes, in terms of, now, this is huge. I think this is the more important one. Yes, in terms of, you need to bring, this is more important for you guys. It would be different with a different crowd, but yes, you do force Jesus on people. In terms of, you need to bring it up. You need to say it to the people. you got to stop, we have to stop waiting And sometimes telling the gospel to people looks different. Sometimes it starts with saying, I can't go to this movie with you guys. But why not? It's just got stuff in it that that I'm not about. Or it looks like inviting someone to church, and then maybe you go to lunch with them after, and you talk to them about what they just heard. And again, inviting someone to church doesn't make them a Christian. Refusing to go to a movie doesn't make someone else a Christian. But you are beginning to send the message. Does that make sense? You're beginning to send this message of something is important to me. They need to know that you're a Christian. And here's the deal. Look at me. Some of us are still waiting for the opportunity. See what my fingers are doing there? Waiting for the opportunity. And God is saying to you, I give you hours of unstructured conversation with this person every day. It's your time now to bring this situation up. So should we force Jesus on people? Yes. Now here's, should we force Jesus on people? No. And here's what I mean by no. Ease up if they begin to get heated. Sometimes when another person gets heated, it's very easy for us to be like, okay, challenge accepted, let's go. And so like you begin to like mix it up, right? And now, see now it's personal and you're going to win the argument and lose the person. Ease up if they get angry. Now listen, I didn't say give up. I didn't say that. You need to circle back around and, and try a different angle later on. But ease up if they get angry. And then obviously we don't yell it at people or anything like that. This is the way that I would describe it. And this may be kind of like, what are you talking about? So here we go. There should be, in, in our gener- for, for us, for youth, for students, for Christians in general... There should be what I would call an urgent humility. An urgent humility. Urgent in terms of, we need to talk about this. This is important. I'm not ashamed to bring this up. I'm not ashamed of inviting people to church with me. They will know that I am a Christian because it's the only way to salvation. And then humility. So urgent humility. Humility means I can't force you to do anything I promise you I will always be honest with you when I'm asked a question, even if it may be what you don't want to hear. And humility in terms of, when I bring this up with you, it's it's because I love you. That's where this comes from. If you're taking notes, you may want to write down Romans 1.16, which is where Paul says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Okay, he's not ashamed of it. He's cool with it. He's not ashamed. Why though? Here we go. Because... It is the power of God that brings salvation to all who believe. So Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. He's not ashamed to tell other people about Jesus and to invite people to church and to say no to different movies, which I'm sure were all over Rome at the time. He's not ashamed, right? But why not? Not because he's right. Not because he's finally figured it out. He's not ashamed of it because it's the only way People will get to spend eternity with Jesus and out of hell. Here's the deal. So follow this and begin to let this sink in to your brains. I don't know that it will tonight, which is totally okay. This took, it's still sinking in with me, obviously. Every single one of you, every single one of you is going to live forever. The person that you bump into at school The person that's on the other team, the person that you see at the recital, that person is an eternal being who will live forever. Every single one of you will live forever. Where? When you look at things like that, you don't really see the gospel as intruding on somebody's life anymore. And of course, here's the other thing that I would say too, and this is the big advice that I give college students. Um, when you share the gospel with others, be sure that you're informed. Be sure you know what you're talking about. Um, I'm not trying to say that you've got to be super studied up before you get in there, but a couple books wouldn't kill you either, Okay. Because the problem is, so many of us don't know anything outside of what we've always grown up with, which is good, that's a great place to start, but it's not a good place to stay. The more informed you are about the issues with Christianity, the more comfortable you'll be, the more confident you'll be, the more relaxed you'll be, the more you'll be able to keep your cool the less angry and scared. This is what happens on college campuses all the time. All a college kid has to do is come up to to, to a student and say, I get that you believe abortion's wrong. Show me in the Bible why you think it's wrong. And the college kid just like has a meltdown, which is why we did um, tough stuff in the college series because I wanted to talk to them about the issues. Begin to, if you have a question about what happens to this or that or what about this in the Bible, begin to explore. The more you learn, the more confident you'll become, the more you'll be less of a jerk about it. (laughs) Not that you guys are that, but you get what I'm saying. So those are kind of the key places that we need to stay, okay? Um, We cannot doubt God's faithfulness and his goodness. So as I wrap it up, as we get ready to to play out one more song, um, begin to think on these things, okay? So I'll be glad to talk with you at the end of this if you need to, but other than that, let's pray it out.